am Srimati Karuna, the director of the Gandhi Memorial Center in Washington, D.C. I bring to you this series, Speaking of Gandhi, sharing the messages from the life of the Mahatma. Mahatma Gandhi once said, It is in prayer that we are in tune with the infinite. Prayer is the very foundation of our ashram. We should understand what that means. If it is not offered from the heart, then it is no prayer at all. On August 17, 1947, Gandhiji wrote in his Harijan newspaper, During the three days I passed in Srinagar, though I offered prayers in the compound of Lala Kishorilal's bungalow, where I was accommodated, I made no speeches. I had so declared before leaving Delhi. But some of the audience sent me questions anyway, and one such question is as follows. I attended your prayer meeting last evening in which you recited two prayers of other communities. May I know what is your idea in doing so? And Gandhiji gave the following response. He said, As I have observed before now, the selection from the Quran was introduced some years ago on the suggestion of Raihana Tiabji, who was then living in Sevagram Ashram. And the one from the Parsi prayers was at the insistence of Dr. Gilder, who recited the Parsi prayer upon the break of my fast in Aga Khan Palace during our detention. Gandhiji continued, I am of the opinion that the additions enrich our prayer. It reached the hearts of a larger audience than before. It certainly showed Hinduism in its broad and tolerant aspect. The questioner ought to have also asked, why the prayer commenced with the Buddhist prayer in Japanese. The selections of the stanzas of the prayer has a history behind it, befitting its sacred character. The Buddhist prayer was the prayer with which the whole of Sevragram resounded in the early morning when a good Japanese monk was staying at Sevragram Ashram and who by his silent and dignified conduct had endeared himself to the inmates of the ashram. Gandhiji's prayer meetings consisted of prayers and scripture from numerous sources, recitations of verses of the Gita, the Isha Upanishad, the ashram vows, a reading from the Quran, chanting of the Lord's Prayer, and singing of bhajans, devotional songs. However, the prayers commenced with the thrice-repeated Namayoho Renge Kyo, I bow to the enlightened souls, followed by two minutes of silence before the prayers began. And how did this come to be? Well, in the 1930s, 
A Japanese monk resident of the ashram frequently chanted the Nikiran Buddhist mantra. And after he was deported at the outbreak of the Second World War, Gandhiji instituted this invocation as the first item in the prayer meetings. Gandhiji is known to have read The Light of Asia, written by Sir Edwin Arnold, but also The Gospel of Buddha, Lectures on Buddhism, and The Way of the Buddha. But in his heart, Buddhism always remained a branch of Hinduism. In May 1933, a Japanese monk had arrived at Sabarmati Ashram, not long before the relocation of the ashram to Wardha, to Seogram. One visitor noted that a Japanese Buddhist priest came with his drum and chantings in the night and worked among the villagers with tireless energy. In mid-September 1933, Gandhiji had a talk with the Japanese monk, Tadao Okitsu, in Pune. Okitsu wanted to serve India and had come to the Mahatma for direction. Gandhiji put before the monk the task of spinning and added that when he had mastered spinning, he would be given some other work. Two weeks later, Okitsu and his master called in on Gandhiji at Warda to where he was in the process of relocating his Sabarmati ashram. The monks were named Fuji, whom Gandhiji called Guruji, and his Hindi-speaking translator, Okitsu. Two weeks after meeting with Fuji, Gandhiji noted that he and the children played on a Japanese sadhu's drum. Of the monk himself, Gandhiji said, the sadhu is a jewel. He is extremely frank, humble, cheerful, and courteous. Another Japanese monk called Keshav joined the ashram in Warda in 1935. This was Tenzaki Kesho, known as Keshavbai, who had been with Gandhiji four years before. He arrived back in Warda in mid-September 1939 and stayed at the Sevagram ashram for two years. Tenzaki Kesho, or Keshavbai, became a true ashramite. He did not express political ideas and so was originally not considered dangerous by the British. However, he was interned after the outbreak of the Pacific War. One follower of Gandhiji recorded that on June 12, 1941, a Japanese monk named Keshavbai, who lived with Gandhiji at Sevagram, had been beaten up by an aggressive and infuriated young man. While Keshav, who possessed remarkable qualities of rendering service to others, cheerfulness, and self-control, was strong enough to retaliate, he did not do so, but allowed himself to be beaten. He displayed true ahimsa, nonviolence. Now, to understand 
a little more deeply Gandhiji's reverence for prayer and the ideal of Buddha, of the eternal path. Let us turn to the writing of Mahadev Desai, Gandhiji's personal secretary for 25 years in India and also his closest associate. One of Gandhiji's grandsons, Rajmohan Gandhi, wrote of Mahadev Desai, waking up before Gandhi in pre-dawn darkness and going to sleep long after his master, Desai lived Gandhi's day thrice over, first in an attempt to anticipate it, next in spending it alongside Gandhi, and finally in recording it into his diary. We turn to Mahadev Desai's diary to learn the details of a dialogue between Mahatma Gandhi and Dr. Fabri, a Buddhist. Desai wrote about a visit Gandhiji once made to Abbottabad. He said Gandhiji had time to think and write during this visit as he was generally kept free from many engagements and interviews. But even there, he had some interviewers, though not of the usual type, interested in politics or issues of the day, but of the unusual type, troubled with other problems. History has it that discourses on such problems used to take place in this region, hallowed of old by the steps of the followers of the Buddha. Well, one of the interviewers of Gandhiji described himself as a follower of Buddha and discussed a problem arising from his creed. This Dr. Fabri was an archaeologist and loved to live in and dream of the past. He was a pupil of Professor Sylvan Levy and came to India as assistant to the famous archaeologist Sir Oral Stein. He served in the archaeological department for many years, helping to reorganize the Lahore Museum and also had some archaeological work to his credit. Delving deep into Buddhistic lore turned him into a bit of a stark rationalist. He was a Hungarian and had in the past corresponded with Gandhiji and even sympathetically fasted with him. He had come to Abbottabad specifically to see Gandhiji. He was particularly interested in the form and content of prayer and wanted to know what kind of prayer Gandhiji said. Could the divine mind be changed by prayer, he wondered? Could one find it out by prayer? Gandhiji responded to him that it was fairly difficult to fully explain what he does when he prays, but he wanted to try to answer this man's question. Ultimately, Gandhiji said that the meaning of prayer is the desire to evoke divinity within. He explained that when he prays for Swaraj, 
or independence for India. He is praying or wishing for the adequate power to gain that Swaraj or to make the largest contribution that he could towards attaining it. He maintained that he could get that power as an answer to prayer. Apparently, Dr. Fabri felt Gandhiji was not quite justified in calling that prayer. Rather, he felt that was a means of begging or demanding. And Gandhiji responded that it may be, he said, that I beg it of myself, of my higher self, the real self with which I have not yet achieved complete identification. It may be described as a continual longing to lose myself in the divinity which comprises all. Gandhiji went on to explain that I am part of that infinite and yet such an infinitesimal part that I feel outside of it. God is so far and yet so near. Gandhiji felt prayer really is complete meditation, melting into the higher self. Well, now, in the course of their conversation, Dr. Fabri explained that he believed there is nothing higher than what Buddha taught and no greater master. For Buddha alone among the teachers of the world said, don't believe implicitly what I say. Don't accept any dogma or any book as infallible. Dr. Fabri said that he could not believe in the personal idea of God. And yet Gandhiji's secretary, Mahadev Desai, noted in his diary that in all fairness, Dr. Fabri is a devotee of the Gita and the Dhammapada, and those are the two scriptures he carried with him. But Dr. Fabri was arguing an intellectual position. Gandhiji would not continue with this point of intellectual conviction and logic, even though they were present within him. He explained that the intensity of faith in which he loses himself in an invisible power is precisely what is present in his act of prayer. He believed that so many things had happened in his life for which he had intense longing, but which he could never have achieved himself. And he always felt that this was an answer to his prayers. He would not say to his co-workers that it was an answer to his intellectual effort to lose himself in the divinity within himself. He felt the correct thing and the easiest thing was to say that God had seen him through his difficulty. To this, Dr. Fabri explained that it was what Gandhiji deserved by his karma, that he was a good man and therefore good things would happen to him. To this argument of karma, Gandhiji said, 
Although I believe in the inexorable law of karma, I am striving to do so many things. Every moment of my life is a strenuous endeavor, which is an attempt to build up more karma, to undo the past and add to the present. It is therefore wrong to say that because my past is good, good is happening at present. The past would soon be exhausted, and I have to build up the future with prayer. I tell you, karma alone is powerless, Gandhiji said. Ignite this match, I say to myself, and yet I cannot if there is no cooperation from without. Before I strike the match, my hand is paralyzed, or I have only one match and the wind blows it off. Is it an accident, or God, or higher power? Well, I prefer to use the language of my ancestors or of children. I am no better than a child. We may try to talk learnedly and of books, but when it comes to brass tacks, when we are face to face with a calamity, we behave like children and begin to cry and pray. And our intellectual belief gives us no satisfaction. With this introduction, you will now hear a portion of the dialogue between Dr. Fabri and Mahatma Gandhi, as recited by Mr. Tony Venturas and Mr. Tilak Hetige. Three of the greatest teachers of the world, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, have left unimpeachable testimony that they found illumination through prayer and could not possibly live without it. I know very highly developed men to whom belief in God gives incredible comfort and help in the building of character. But there are some great spirits that can do without it. That is what Buddhism has taught me. But Buddhism is one long prayer. Buddha asked everyone to find salvation for himself. He never prayed. He meditated. Call it by whatever name you like. It is the same thing. Look at these statues. But they are not true to life. They are 400 years later than his death. Well, give me your own history of Buddha. As you may have discovered it, I will prove that he was a praying Buddha. The intellectual conception does not satisfy me. I have not given you a perfect and full definition, as you cannot describe your own thought. The very effort to describe is a limitation. The very attempt to clothe thought in word or action limits it. No one in this world can express a thought in word or action fully. It defies analysis and you have nothing but skepticism as the residue. What about the people who cannot pray? Be humble. I would say to them, and do not limit even the real Buddha by your own conception of Buddha. He could not have ruled the lives of 
millions of men that he did and does today if he was not humble enough to pray there is something infinitely higher than intellect that rules us and even the skeptics their skepticism and philosophy do not help them in critical periods of their lives they need something better something outside them that can sustain them and so if someone put a conundrum before me i say to him you are not going to know the meaning of god or prayer unless you reduce yourself to a cipher you must be humble enough to see that in spite of your greatness and gigantic intellect you are but a speck in the universe a merely intellectual conception of things of life is not enough it is the spiritual conception which eludes the intellect and which alone can give one satisfaction even moneyed men have critical periods in their lives though they are surrounded by everything that money can buy and affection can give they find at certain moments in their lives utterly distracted it is in these moments that we can a glimpse of god a vision of who is guiding every one of our steps in life it is a prayer you mean what we might call a true religious experience which is stronger than intellectual conception twice in life i had that experience but i have since lost it but i now find great comfort in one or two sayings of buddha selfishness is the cause of sorrow remember monks everything is fleeting to think of these takes almost the place of belief that is a prayer i look forward to sharing with you more messages each week from the life of mahatma gandhi as he said my life is my message vaishna